Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I am so grateful to have my guest on today with me. He is a trainer, a speaker. Um, th this guy wears so many hats. I'm telling you, this guy wears a lot of hats. And I am so grateful to have him on today with me. He is Mike Hernandez. Mike, now Mike, full disclosure, Mike lives down as far south as you can get in the United States. So I am grateful uh, through the power of the interwebs here from West Virginia to Texas, my guest, Mike Hernandez, joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Mike, how are you today, man? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good morning. It's uh, a connection that doesn't seem to go away. It's uh, in my life, West Virginia to Texas. So, uh, yeah, you and I That's were great. talking. Yeah, you and I were talking before. You've you've been you've rolled through this this beautiful state that I live in, and and uh, you know it's it's kind of near and dear to your heart. You know, tell me about. You know, I, I know the story, but remind folks again what what connection you have to to West Virginia. Well, Brian, my my grandparents on my mother's side were you know from West Virginia. They lived in Logan. Yep. Uh, my parents met somehow <laughs> and uh, got married. Uh, but at some point there was a divorce and uh, we went to live with my mother in Logan, West Virginia. So um, I attended my first school, you know, there in Logan, went trick or treating. I think I might have mentioned that before. And uh, yep. it was snowing. But um, it uh, I, I think it just wasn't meant to be. My mom had other things going on, I guess. And uh, I mean, I'm just going to drop this here. Uh, she abandoned us one night and it was a snowstorm, power outage. You know, we were kids. I wasn't even five years old. And, uh, you know, we went looking for her walking through the streets of Logan. Yep. And it was just, it was crazy. Uh, you know, in the snowstorm, like, <laughs> where's our mom? But uh, at any yeah. rate. Um, and in full disclosure, Logan, West Virginia is about an hour from where I live. And, and the easiest way is to, to back road from literally from where I live to back road down um, West Virginia route 10. And it's a windy curvy road, but Logan at one time was the, the capital of West Virginia for coal and coal production. And a lot of coal was produced in the Logan and William Williams is about uh, 25, 30 miles South of, of Logan. But uh, you know, Mike, when, when you were there, uh, that was right in the in the boom of yes. the coal of the coal industry and things like that. So yeah. I, I can't imagine. Listen, Logan's a little bit of a rough town right now because of different things that have happened with drugs and and things yes. like that. Things have invaded it. But yes. Logan is a beautiful. It's a beautiful little town. It sits on a river and yes. Um, for you, you, you mentioned your grandparents being there and things like that. You talk about your mom taking off, and, and let's just go there for a couple of minutes because I think it's fascinating. You were how old when your mom decided to take off? 
Uh, four or five, maybe. I don't think I was even in school yet. So you were walking around just kind of looking for your mom yeah. in, in yeah. Logan, West Virginia. Yep. Uh, crossing over the bridge, you know, that little river creek that runs through there. Um, my grandparents lived on top of a hill, a mountain, I guess. My grandfather was a coal miner, actually. My uncle Charles was a coal miner as well. Um, so yeah, you're exactly right. And now I did get back to West Virginia, Logan, maybe around 2014 when I was up in the Bristol, Tennessee area. Yeah, that's and, not far. And to your point, no, to your point, uh, you know, it's kind of everything you described, but uh, you know, some changes and it, it was just good for the soul to get back. You know, as I think I mentioned, sometimes you just yeah. have questions that uh, haunt you your whole life, you know, that you ask yourself. When you made that trip, Mike, did you did you feel a sense of reconnection? Was was it that that trip for you? Was it reconnecting to to a part of your family and a part of your past? Because I think sometimes when people and I would almost call them pilgrimages, mm. you know, because um, and and to give you an example, I lived in a little town in southeast Ohio my wife and I did for a, a few years and both of my grandparents on my dad's side were buried in a cemetery in that same little town. And it wasn't until I lived over there that I actually visited their graves. Right. And so for me, it was cathartic because I was like, wow, you know, I, and, and my dad never really talked about it because he was like, well, you know, they're, that's where their, their bodies are, are, are laid. And because, he was a Christian and I was a Christian, you know, we just, we just said, you know, okay, grandma and grandpa are with the Lord, you know, their bodies. Right. And so there wasn't any desire or need or anything like that growing up to visit the cemetery. But once I got older, I'm like, I'm going to go visit the gravesite. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that and make that pilgrimage, if you will. Yes. When, when you went back to Logan, what kind of memory stirred in your mind about about the time you were there when, when you drove back in to Logan, was there a lot of things that came flooding back to you? Of course, of course there were. And, uh, you know, the first memory that comes back to me is crossing that little bridge, you know, crossing that little river to get yeah. to the old school. Now, um, I was looking for the school and I was looking for the place where I used to live and uh, it was still there, but it had changed. It became a lot more crowded. Yeah. But uh, most definitely, uh, you know, going up the mountain, you know, the mountainside looking for where my grandparents used to live and seeing, you know, kind of the conditions and, and things like that. Uh, looking for a Burger King. There was a Burger King there when my dad went to go pick us up after, you know, from the welfare department, he picked us up. Um, we stopped at this Burger King and they had this really cool sale, Brian. Uh, you got like a, a, like a Looney Tunes glass, you know, yeah. and each of my brothers and sisters, well, there was four of us all together, we each got one. Well, I was the only one who took care of that. And I took it to my grandmother's house and I would tell her grandma on my dad's side, grandma, take care of this. So, I mean, I think I probably had that till about 10 years ago when somebody broke into my house when I was gone and they stole my Bugs Bunny glass from 1972. So yeah, I mean, a lot of memories. And probably back. put it on eBay, Mike. That is probably. just how miscreant and deviant people are, man. <laughs> yes. But Somebody the deviant enough to, to steal a, uh, a Looney Tunes glass. Go, yeah. go figure, man. Go figure. You, you just don't know what, uh, you know, the connection somebody has though, when, when you, when you, you know, 
trample over somebody or or you know you kind of um you know uh trespass against them i guess you just don't know what i mean it's just a glass but i mean that's a lot of history there and a lot of my childhood i guess <clears throat> memories take me i want to pivot here for just a minute take me to to what's going on in south texas right now where you're at because everybody is dealing with this pandemic in a different way mm -hmm. And we're all seeing different things and things like that. Sure. What are you seeing down in, in deep South Texas where you are? You know, when I talk to people around the world, Brian, that I, that I teach, um, they ask me the same thing. And I always tell them, it, it's like we were locked down for a month, the month of April. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's acting like it was just a bad dream. You know, and everybody's out doing whatever it is they do down on South Padre Island. You know, you see the families in these go-karts and, and, and buggies and golf carts and stuff. So everybody's kind of just uh, going about their, doing their own thing. So, you know, not everybody's wearing the mask. And I heard some of your, you know, broadcast this morning. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it, it seems like, um, you know, it's spreading. It's, you know, violently growing. Right. But, but, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know for a fact. Um, but I, I kind of keep to myself anyway, and I, I focus on my goals and, and doing stuff like that. So I well, only get out when I need to. Well, but and I think it's funny. interesting, Mike, and the reason I ask that, I think it's interesting because everybody is dealing with, with this pandemic in different ways. Right. And it's affecting people in different ways. You know, some people yes. have lost loved ones from it. You know, some people have been furloughed and, and, and laid off and, right. and things like that. So that's why I asked the question because, Every region of the country, and you and you hear Dr. Fauci and those people, they'll they'll say, well, you know, it's going to spread and people are going to get vulnerable. And what I said was, you know, unless you know for certain mm -hmm. what's going to happen, why not think positively and say, listen, it's a good mm -hmm. thing to wear a mask when you're out in public. Right. It's, you know, especially if you live with somebody that has vulnerabilities or autoimmune diseases or something like sure. that, mm -hmm. it's always good to be cautious Correct. and say that instead of going, oh my gosh, you know, Corona is going to invade yes. the world, you know, and, and yeah. so we just need more, we, we need more positivity. Sure. Mike, you have got a, a, just a, a phenomenal story, your, your time and your resume and things like that. Take me, we, we, we touched on it a little bit as we started the podcast. Take me from point A to point B, how you got to where you were. So you, you moved from Logan, West Virginia, right. when you were a kid. Let's pick up your story from there and take us from as, as deep as you want to go from point A to point B, how you got from here to there. Well, um, so my dad picked us up. We came down to Texas and uh, my dad, you know, was in another relationship uh, with somebody who had nine kids of her own. So you put us together, there's 13, Brian. Uh, they had two together. You were like awesome. the Brady Bunch Duggars. You know, yes. it's a combination of the Brady Bunch and the Duggars, you know? Yes, yes. So, you know, 14 brothers and sisters, man, uh, you know, it was tough. My dad was the only one who worked. My mom stayed home, obviously, and uh, took care of everything else. But uh, I, I think at a young age, um, man, it's just uh, overwhelming to, you know, 
not not trying to compete for attention, but yeah, um, you know, sometimes you you've got to eat and uh, you've got to strike quick when you can and things like that. But yeah, you know, I was a pretty quiet kid. I was uh, pretty smart, I think. I, I read a lot, but I kind of acted up in school, and um, you know. I've heard some of the story about you and your father and the relationship. My father was, um, you know, the biggest character in my life, the biggest impact, the most positive guy. He passed away, I think around the same time, 2013 in November. Yeah. So it's been about seven years. But uh, at any rate, man, what I wouldn't do to be with my dad and what, man, that was just the, the greatest thing in the world. My best memories as a kid were getting to go to work with my dad. Yeah. But um, I, I did, you know, I, I acted up in school. The second most influential person in my life, uh, and maybe, I don't know if she was more impactful in some ways, was uh, a teacher I had, Mrs. Pinkerton, uh, that poor lady. I had her three times, Brian. When I was in third grade, she was like brand new teacher's aide. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what it was, but uh, I remember her saying, hey, okay, class, we're going to get a book, open up your books. And I didn't have my book and she came to me and she's like, you know, um, you need to go get a book. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you go get it? <laughs> you know, I don't know what it was. Yep. And so of course she goes and gets the book and she comes back and she's like, open it up to page, you know, whatever. I'm like, why don't you open it up to page? Anyway, I just feel bad for this lady. And then I had her again in the seventh grade, Brian, and it, oh, it's torture, but in the eighth grade, something happened that summer in the eighth grade, seventh grade, to eighth grade. My dad used to go to these, uh, a lot of, uh, he'd go to stuff like Toastmasters. And we went to this seminar and he, he was enrolled in something called the Laws of Success and mm -hmm. Napoleon Hill. And there was a guy named Jerry Apple that kind of did that. And there were all these businessmen. And I'm a kid in this, you know, going from the seventh to eighth grade, mm -hmm. not really interested in that stuff, you know, but I, but I did out of respect for my dad, you know, I paid attention and everybody had to go give speeches and so did I. Mm -hmm. And it, I hear a lot of people these days, Brian, and, and, and they say, why don't they teach business in high school? Why don't they teach finance? Why don't they teach all these different things? Yeah. And right now I, I actually do teach business in high school, but I, I always think to myself, you know, kids don't have the context to really appreciate it, you know, because they don't have to work. They're, they're, you know, their parent, most of them parents. Provide. Well, Mike, everything is instantaneous. It, yes. If, if, if a kid can't find it here, mm -hmm. then it doesn't exist. Right. And, and a lot of people, and, and, and again, they see people who get paid to be influencers and they right. see people that, you know, are using social media to make money and things like mm -hmm. that. And, and of, of all the people that are registered users of these social media platforms, there is a minute percentage that are actually monetizing yes. those platforms. But every kid thinks they can do it. And then they watch Shark Tank and they're like, oh, yes. I, can, I, I can do that. Mm -hmm. But Mike, I, I appreciate the fact that you're teaching business in high school. I, I think it should be required. Yes. Hey, it should be a required class. I agree. And here's the thing too, Brian. So right off the bat, I realized because all those things that I didn't really care for, you know, you want to think about girls, your friends and all those things yeah. at that age, yep. when, when I needed it, it just kicked in. So I, I tell kids the same thing. Like, you know, I, I know you guys, I, I'll ask them, Hey, how many of you guys want to, 
you know, like business. And, you know, I said, it's okay if you don't. And most of them don't. And then I say, how many of you guys like money? Oh, would they all the hands? Yeah, everybody likes exactly. Money. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, I tell my students, my job is to, to, to make you guys aware. Yep. Okay. I understand. But, but this way, when you run into it in the future, you're aware, but I do encourage and I do bring up, Hey, you, the world is different. When I started working, I was making 285 an hour. You guys can be because of social media. You can, most of you won't, Yeah. but I, I want right. you to know it's there. You have that opportunity. You guys can manage social media, do different things. Uh, Shark Tank's a favorite again. Uh, if nothing else, just to get them inspired, get them thinking, yeah. letting them know what the possibilities are. Now, if you need my help and you want me to go deeper, then then I'm here. that's what I'm here for. Yeah. But um, you know, it, it's just a maturity thing. And 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 ever since then, getting back to Mrs. Pinkerton, honest to God, Brian, I spent the rest of my life trying to atone for for that you know eighth grade yeah. was a better year i uh one of the things i did was i i recited the charge of the light brigade we had wow. a poem to do everybody's doing five or ten lines and i just man i gotta make it up to her so i yep. worked really extra hard and so everything afterward has been that so i i got into high school and i know you're a big sports guy i i used to be but um you know, it's something else that, that, that's been a very valuable lesson. One day after practice, a coach, football practice, a coach says, hey, come see me during track season. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, so I do. And uh, he says, I'm going to have you go run with the Milers. I've never run. I couldn't run. My little brother could outrun me. Yep. But next thing I know, Brian, I'm the only one running varsity as a freshman. Yeah. So, so when people see things, you may not see them in yourself, but other people may. And so uh, that's something else I, I try to tell people. It's not about me, but it's just about somebody saw that. Yeah. And, and they, they, they said, hey, you know what? Give this a shot. So um, I uh, moved into San Antonio when uh, I was, you know, tired. I graduated and big family just want to get out of the, you know. Yep. And I moved to San Antonio. I just needed a job, Brian. I got in the convenience store by accident. Mm -hmm. um, the lady almost didn't hire me. She's, and I asked her why. <laughs> And, and she says, because, like, you're just too ambitious. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself. You're not going to be here long. Yeah, but I'm thinking to myself, yeah. you don't understand who they thought I was supposed to be. And, and, and then several years later, I hear Lane Staley singing that. Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, my dad had prepped me. I had plans. I had ambitions. I had goals. And so, yeah. you know, he, so I went through that. And I, and I just noticed that there was a lot of turnover, a, a lot of, I guess, a lack of training. I, I started. And I worked really hard. I, I picked up a lot of shifts and I told them from day one, I want to be an assistant manager. It took me over a year um, just because people don't have time or, or the conditions aren't right or somebody doesn't want to. And then we fast forward to, you know, 19 um, or I'm sorry, not 19, but let's say 2016. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm doing an MBA. I'm working on an MBA. I'm working 80 hours a week as a district manager and, uh, you know, the realization came like, wait a minute, all the problems we had when I was started off back in 1992 are still here and they all revolve around training. Because and nothing got fixed, right? I mean, you, you were seeing, you know, in, in a business, a lot of times the, the greatest ideas that help a business come from the simplest things not getting done correctly. Right. And, and, you know, that you, you just mentioned what you saw in 1992, you were still seeing in 2016. 
Yes. You would think that, and the convenience store industry has changed immeasurably it has. In, in 24 years. The perli- And I'll say this, and I know that business pretty well. In 1992, you walked into a convenience store and you got pop, chips, candy, gum, you hot got dogs. hot dogs, you know, maybe, maybe not every, not every C store, at least where I live, not every C store had hot dogs, yeah. but you could go, you know, and primarily you stopped there to get gas. Yes. Primarily you bought gas and snacks. Mm-hmm. That, that was, that was it. Now you walk into a convenience store and they've got hot foods. You, you know, they've done a great job with meal replacement, either breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Mm-hmm. You go there, you still get your snacks, you still get, but they've got fresh donuts. A lot of them have fresh donuts. A lot of them are making fresh donuts. I, I, I think about, Mike, and I don't want to dive off here. Oh, One of my favorite convenience stores is, in, is, in, is outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And it's between Lexington and Frankfurt, and it's on a back road. It comes in. And if you're familiar with that area, the castle is nearby. There's a big castle that somebody built 30 years ago. And they have a fresh donut place inside that C-store. It's a BP. It's called Dodaddy's. Mm. Phenomenally good donuts. And, and one side is the, the C-store, the traditional C-store. There's gas pumps and, the, and things like that. The other side's a full-on bakery. And you get scones and muffins and cinnamon rolls and donuts. And, and that's what the C-Store world has evolved to right. nowadays is, is just the things you can buy at a C-Store just phenomenally. Like, in full disclosure, we have sheets nearby. I go there and get pretzels. They're 99 cents, and they're awesome. And I love it. I come back home, and I put them in the oven. And in about 10 minutes, I get a hot pretzel. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. That's how C-stores have evolved. Yes. But you saw a need there that didn't go away after 24 years. What was that V8 moment for you that you said, I can fix this? Well, well, when I was um, working on that MBA, I was researching. So whatever the assignment was, I would always go into research the convenience store industry. And I I wouldn't find a whole lot. And so, uh, did you go there just because of, of familiarity? Was, yes. Was that the, the, the reason you did that? Right. And, and I know when you completed your MBA, I don't know if you had a lot of those, you know, the light turns on. I almost felt like I had a new set of eyes, maybe a new mind. I did. Because but, I you started know, managing, things- yeah, managing salespeople for me was what, was what really helped me in my MBA program because right. I could call on those, those times. So, yeah, right. you're, you're 100% right. Yeah. So, I, I, um, I just thought that that's what exactly you're exactly right. That's why I went there. I said, well, wait a minute, let me just kind of look at this parallel. And, and, and I just saw too much opportunity. And I thought, wow, I was talking to somebody and he had a similar educational experience. And uh, anytime I was studying a certain topic, I go ask questions around the little organization that I work for. And so it got it, you know, it, it got the, the conversation started. They didn't always end the way I wanted them to or hope they would, yeah. but at least the conversation got going. And so some things did uh, transpire from there. But, uh, you know, the guy says, uh, hey, you know, you know, you can just, you can create your own stuff and put it out there. Yeah. Ooh, wow. 
yeah, you know what? And I thought, wow, if I can be a district manager to a group of stores, why can't I be a district manager to, you know, anybody else who would want it or need it? And so that's kind of where it started. And then I pursued a master's in teaching and learning with technology because I wanted to do it the right way. Yep. I didn't want to just be somebody who shows up. I wanted the credentials, affiliations, all, you know, to go along with that experience. I want to build this the right way. So well, that, and, and, and there's, I'm... and Mike, there's something to be said for that because again, you can put some training together and you can say, okay, this is what, this is what I, I see a lot of times. And you're the perfect person to, to talk with, through this with. You'll see trainings a lot of times that will overpromise and underdeliver. And people will say, if you take my training course, I'll grow your sales by 25 or 30%. That's a tall order. Yes. Because you're assuming that your material is so good that everybody is going to absorb it and then they're going to execute it. Yes. And I was having a discussion with a friend of mine in Louisiana and we were talking about execution. He was a former college football player and he's been a guest on, on the podcast, Marsh Spice. Okay. And I said, Marsh, the one thing about it is, is that the quarterback position in sports is the most overcoached position because it's it's arguably the most important position. The guy can know the playbook inside and out. He can know the cadence and he might know what, what play to call. Yeah. But when you get defensive linemen and linebackers rushing you, yes. it's execution. It's where yeah. do you deliver the football? How accurately do you deliver the football? How timely do you deliver the football? Or are you going, oh, crap, and you stand back there and take a sack? Yeah. It's all about execution. Preparation is great, yes. but you cannot guarantee execution. And I think when you see people that say to those things, well, if you implement my system, you're going to get X result. That's, that's a hard guarantee to, to make happen because yes. you can't accurately predict the execution of those people that you're going to train. No, you can't. But here's here's the here's what I call that: take the money and run. That that's that kind of training. They take the money and run, and then you know they're gone, and you don't hear back from them. But the other thing, the other important part of the adaptation is, um, our, our execution is adaptation. Because if if you are prepared, um, and you you can learn how to think, you know, then you can adapt when you see that guy coming at you, you know, you might, you know, you, you're better prepared. And that's why some of these guys that have been around a long time, it's hard to fool Drew Brees. It's hard to fool Tom, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, those guys, because they've seen it. They, they you, you can learn how to read the signs. And that's kind of what I try to get. Well, they've learned execution, do. Mike. Yes, yes. They've learned exactly. how to, to properly execute everything that to your point, And that's a great point that you made. They know what's coming. And they said, okay, because of experience, yes. I know how to execute. It doesn't mean that they – and here's what we're not saying. The best passer in the NFL is about a 70 or 75% passer. Right. There's 25% of those plays, even if they've seen it, maybe they're just a hair mm -hmm. late getting the ball out. Yes. You know, maybe the wind is blowing. It kind of, you know, brings a – or maybe – you know, you can execute flawlessly and that defensive lineman puts her hand up real quick and tips that pass and it goes incomplete. Yes. So there, there's not 
flawless execution. No, no, there's not. There's not. Mike, it, when, when you decided to do that, and I'll, I'll stay here for just a minute before we pivot. When you decided to do that, what was the number one thing that you saw right away in your research that you said, I absolutely know that I can fix this. And if somebody will implement this one thing, and I don't want you to give away your secret sauce, but what was your V8 moment like they're not executing on that? Well, I mean, it's, it's really simple. Uh, people always talk about, you know, we, it's hard to find good talent. And, and in the industry, in our industry, it's not. We have so many people come. It's, you know, the hard part is keeping them. But if you can give that person access to something that's going to help them, and I think I told you about this. I had an employee she called me one day crying early in my career, calling, crying because a customer was yelling at her. And I walked her through how to fix it over the phone. The next day I came back and I gave her some more reinforcement, make sure she was good with it. And I realized, hey, you know what? She's never gonna have another bad day because she didn't know how to handle this. And then I started showing her other things and showing other employees things. And so I never had the problems that everybody else had. But the moment came you know, while I was going through there thinking, wait a minute, again, if you build something that's not hit and run, if you do the work up front and you provide, you know, people something that, you know, is real and is true, you, you know, you got to give people something to believe in, but you also have to give them what they need to be successful, you know, and, and those are really two big things. But, but in this point, I saw, you know, that people, companies spending billions of dollars every year and they're not solving the problem. It's because, okay, let's roll it out. It's compliance. And, and okay, we're done with training. Read yeah. this, sign off on this. But when, when that person working overnight has a question, they don't have anybody to, to talk to. They don't have anybody to ask. Well, you're, you're talking about the difference between training and understanding. Yeah. It, it, it is so easy because in a training, a lot of times you're going to get people that are going to retain about 40% mm -hmm. of what they got. And, and that's on a good day. Yeah. You, you're going to get that, that, that retention of about 40% in, in, a, in and, and that's good deliverable training. What happens to the 60% that you covered? The, what you want them to retain is the most important information. Right. And so, you know, my, my thought around training is how can people develop trainings where the retention goes up to about 75, 80%. And they're constantly not only retaining the important information, but flawlessly executing that, that important training again and again and again. And, and, and you look at a company like Chick-fil-A. I have a perfect example. Yes. I, I can't remember the last time I had a bad experience at Chick-fil-A. Neither. I can't remember. Because to me, they're constantly – Training, retention, reinforcement. Reinforce. Training, retention, reinforcement. Rinse, repeat. Yes. And it's not hard. It's not, right. it's not hard at all. Mike, I want to pivot here for just a second. You, you mentioned early in the podcast, and I, I'm grateful that you mentioned that part of your story. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you've overcome and how you overcame it. You know, there are a lot of obstacles that um, that I've gone through. I, I think, quite honestly, 
for me, what, what was really big is coming to understand that it's not, it's not personal, but it really is personal. And what I mean by that is, you know, I might have a way to help you, Brian, but it just might not be the time for you. Mm-hmm. You may not want it. You may not need it. You may not understand that you need it. But when you do, hopefully you'll remember. So I had a situation with somebody around that MBA time. Actually, I just finished up and I was talking to this guy. He's the CEO of the company, small company. We could have these conversations. And I say, John, man, I don't, I don't know if you realize what you have here. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's so many things I can do. I want to, you know, help yeah. you guys. Yeah. And, and, and John says, you know, you might be right. <laughs> but, but, but then I always felt like a fool later, kind of, because I thought, well, you know, afterwards, I wasn't there anymore, but things transpired. And I come to find out that wasn't the goal. That wasn't what they were trying to accomplish. And so, you know, it just didn't fit. It wasn't, he didn't need that. And, and it wasn't him being mean or, or saying, Mike, that's dumb. It's like, he's like, well, you know what? Give me an opportunity. You know, I'll listen. I'll listen. You know, I, I can, that's only I can promise you is that I'll, I'll take a listen. But, you know, that, that was one of those things where, you know, again, I thought, well, wow, you know what? It's maybe it just doesn't fit. And, and I've experienced that. I'm sure you have too, where somebody brings you something and, you know, you want to be cordial and professional and, and uh, yeah. but it just may not be the right time for you. But when it is, you know, I'm going to remember to come to you. So that was, for me, it was hard because I've had so many great ideas and, and, and so many different things that could have saved people, but and, until they were ready for it, I mean, it didn't matter how many hundreds of thousands of dollars I was going to save. Mm-hmm. They just didn't get it or they didn't want it or they didn't understand it or they, whatever the case was. So for me, that was the biggest thing to overcome. It's like, it's not personal. Yeah. But, but it really is because each person is an individual. Each company is in a different situation. Well, in, in learning that lesson, Mike, and a lot of people come to that lesson a little bit later than others, you know, in, in, you know, in, in sales people, everybody buys differently. And, and what I've said for a while now is I think salespeople sometimes forget what it's like to be the customer. Yes. I think salespeople forget and they forget to say to themselves, if I were this guy, would the solution that I'm offering fit me? And and I'm starting to think more like a consumer because again, when I see something that I need or want and the money's right and it's right, it's the right time for me. I I, I saw something on American Pickers once. I love American Pickers. Me too. Mike Wolf said this. He said the time to buy something is when you see it. And sometimes, but, but, but what's happened in our society, Mike, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, no, no, no. but what, but what's happened in our society is we will go into debt for it. We'll say, Oh, we got, I got to have it. Yes. Instead of going, okay, well, yeah, it's the right item. Yeah. I want it, but I don't, I'm not willing to sacrifice my future for the present. Right. And, and I'm not willing and, and, and a lot of times people just say, and we, we have to learn in, this, in our society the discipline of tolerance. Yes. And to say, 
yeah, I want it. I might need it. But if I if I can't do it within my means, I'm going to have to wait until I – that's what our grandparents did. Yes. Our grandparents didn't go into debt like we like we are. As a, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but what you said there right. was so important because you, you learned that from your customer. Mike, you've got the right solution. It's just not the right time. Yeah. And the right kudos, circumstances, yeah. Yeah, and kudos to you for, for learning that message. Late. <laughs> well, hey, better late yes. than never. Yeah, exactly. Mike, as we finish up, man, you've been so great with your time. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I think there's going to be a ton of value that comes out of it for people. I hope so. I hope so. I want you to leave this audience with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. You know, I have several. But um, go for it, man. This is your time. I'm just going to let you go here for a minute. Just, just okay. go ahead. So I'm going to give you a couple. You know, first of all, don't want what's not yours unless you're willing to work for it. Too many people want things that, you know, because somebody else has it. You know what? That person worked for it. So I think another piece is that's really important is and in order to get to where you want to be, to where you want to go, you have to be honest with where you're at right now. Everybody promises so and oversells true. and does these things, but you know what? You're, you have to be self-aware. You have to be doing that. Uh, you know, the other thing too, and this is a big one, you just don't know when opportunity is going to knock. So, I mean, and I hate to sound cliche, but you know, be, get prepared, do the work. I never would have thought that, I was going to, you know, have this chance opportunity to meet you, talk to you, do whatever. I was, you know, just doing my thing, doing my thing. And, and, and here I am blessed today. So um, same thing with, with the path I'm on. I did all the work up front. Out of the blue, I get a call. Hey, you know what? Come down to Texas. We have a job. Boom, I'm there. But it's because I was doing the work. So you've got to, you know, do the work up front and, you um, I, I think that's really the thing. Know yourself, and, and I think just be honest with yourself. I, I've never marched to the beat of a drum. I've always been, I've kind of grooved to the rhythm of John Paul Jones's bass my whole life. You know, I've always just been different. And and that's okay. I, I, I'm okay, but I, I know the path I'm on, the, my purpose, and I just keep working on it, you know. And it may take me five years. It may take me 10 years. But, you know, kind of like you mentioned the other day, I'll be doing this till the day I die. You know, as far as the, you know, your belief and the way you were acting and, and, and you know, which, you know, some of your core values, uh, you're going to practice that all the time. Gratitude and, and, and just those different things. So that, that's what I have, you know, focus on yourself. Well, you and that's, you, you yeah, that's why I wanted you, you to help yourself. Yeah. And that's why I wanted you to go because, um, I, I think what you just said was just was just powerful there because I loved what you said about don't want don't want what's not yours. Yeah. I mean that that's one of the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Thou shalt not covet. And, and we've got such a society of covetousness. Like, like if 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 my neighbor gets a new car, I gotta you know we today we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. 
And so, you know, I love that, Mike, because again, it's so easy on social media platforms to get caught up in, well, this guy has 800,000 followers. I got to pump out a lot of content and I've got to constantly be, listen, if, if your content is good, people will find you. I am a living testimony yes. to that. People will find you if you're authentic, you're genuine, and you're consistent. You're GAC. You're genuine, you're authentic, you're consistent. People will yes. find you. And I'm so glad our paths crossed. Me too. And uh, I'm grateful. Tell folks where they can find you, Mike, that the people want to connect with you. How can they, how can they do that? It's really simple. Uh, if you want to send an email, you can email me at admin at cstorecenter.com. But, you know, let's blow all the smoke screens out of the way. My phone number, 217-319-8933. No transparency, no BS. Text before you call, just because I might be teaching a class or doing something like that. But yeah, 217-319-8933. Anything convenience store, anything technology, anything, anything, you know, I'm here. Yeah. You can also find him on LinkedIn at Mike Hernandez and uh, would highly recommend connecting with him. Mike, this has been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on the intentional encourager podcast. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.